Chapter 39 Alone It was amusing to August that he could pass three thousand years of his life and still be accumulating new and different experiences. Even though Faye matured slowly, he had thought, perhaps arrogantly, that he would have experienced most things, and that everything after about a thousand years would have only been nuanced takes on what he had known in the past. It frightened him that he still had the capacity to feel so much fear, so much desperation. He knew what it was to fear starving to death multiple times every winter, for years on end. He knew what it was to be terrified for Ash's life, and to get frostbite in his fingers with his need to find Ash enough food. He knew the feel of his damp mane freezing to frost and icicles in the frigid weather, climbing trees he was poorly suited to, telling Ash to stay underwater away from the wind chill. He knew, even, what it was to have stolen from the nearby Anne Fenway estate on pain of death. Knew the horror of being discovered by a young teenaged fay with two hunting hounds that had scented both he and Ash, for his brother had been with him that day, freezing and starving to death. The young, blonde, curly-haired boy had sighted them as August, panicking, dug his claws into his brother's shoulder, and Ash was too scared to bleat in pain. And that curly hair had been mostly hidden under a fur-lined cap. Pale blue eyes had skated over them both, a face stern and cold despite the boyish curve to his cheeks. August knew that he would die fighting to save his brother. The young fay had hesitated, then called his barking hounds back to him. They were obedient, turning immediately, even though it was clear from their tone they wanted to make a breakfast out of the water horses. Then the boy made a passing comment about how it was a good thing that no one had pilfered from the winter orange grove down by the frozen river, as it was hidden so well. He'd claimed that those oranges were wonderful in the dead of the season. He'd turned resolutely, called his hounds to follow him, and Ash had muttered with chattering teeth that the boy was an idiot. August had remembered it all only recently. A sudden flash of awareness that had made his eyes fly open and a gasp steal its way out of his chest. That boy was still an idiot, but on that day he'd saved August's life, Ash's life, and August knew he could never quite know how much he owed him. They'd gorged themselves on the winter oranges and then stolen as many as they could carry back to their lake. August had needed to rub the feeling back into Ash's toes and fingers, because windchill threatened them in a way that deep river currents never did. But they'd lived. Another winter, and they'd survived. And now that blonde idiot is still giving you all these new opportunities to feel things that you're not particularly interested in feeling. How generous of him. The sick, churning nausea that lurched at the bottom of his gut as he, Gulvy, and Ash walked towards the neutral ground to meet Albion was something that he could have done without. He was dressed finely. He wore his signature green shirt, buttoned up the middle, black pants, calf-high boots with stern buckles and a pin at his collar of a water-horse head, because he was proud of his underfay, freshwater heritage, even if saltwater fay had him at a constant disadvantage. A rapier was strapped to a belt at his side, and he wore black gloves with little notches cut into the end where his claws emerged. Gulvy wore the sort of clothing she always did, a black tank top that allowed for her wings, her curved daggers, white shorts, red boots with flat soles. She wore the same crown that Ash wore, silvery and fine. Though where it highlighted Ash's unsuitability to the role, August had to grudgingly admit that it suited the sharp edges of her face, her pointed chin, her aquiline nose. The neutral ground was on moorland, open and high in altitude, where they could be seen by anyone. August hated it. He refused to look up at the huge open sky above them. When he'd been younger, he'd been scared of the giant unending bowl that was the sky. It made him feel as though he were falling off the earth. Even having dry air around him felt unnatural and strange. And though he had mostly mastered that phobia now, understood that it was connected to his species and that it wasn't something he had to pay any heed, Having that giant sky opening like a vacuum around him didn't do anything to put his nerves at ease. He was under strict orders to behave himself. August's fingers strayed briefly to the soul-bond mark at his chest. If he genuinely believed Gwen's life was in danger, and he did, then he had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. 
he would behave so long as they gave him cause to. Golvey had said he was coming as their prisoner, but he wasn't shackled or restrained in any tangible sense. He walked behind the both of them. He kept a hand on the hilt of his rapier. The open land made him uneasy, but he had his invisibility. Every time Ash looked around furtively and then looked over his shoulder at August, he became newly aware of just how much Ash's life was tied to his now. Late, Golvey spat as they arrived at a plain of dark earth. Of course, more insult. They could just be held up, Ash said. August and Golvey both rolled their eyes at the same time, caught the expression on each other's faces. There was an awkward moment. They didn't get along, but every now and then Ash would say or do something, and they'd catch each other with the same exasperated, affectionate look on each other's faces. It was jarring. Golvey was especially cruel after those moments. August the same. Ash was oblivious. Held up on the matter of insulting us, August amended. Another shared look between he and Gulvy, and August could feel a preemptive ache in his gut. She burned to bury another knife in him, he could tell. August didn't know a great deal about the mercurial King Albion, though he had done his research when he'd been king. Who ever heard of an ocean king having a center-like stability? He knew that Gwen and Albion had fought together side by side. He knew that Albion managed tens of thousands of sea fae beneath the surface of the sea. He knew that Albion was not likely to be merciful. He knew that there was very little chance they'd get Gwen back at all, let alone alive. It would not be the first time a Seelie monarch had executed someone to preserve the reputation of the Seelie. He tried not to think of Gwen down in a cell, because after his initial attitude of, see how you like it, he realized that Gwen was ill-suited to confined spaces. At least August felt at home with four walls around him, damp and humid air. He could even pretend that he was underwater sometimes, hibernating. Gwen had been raised with open skies in the outdoors, preferred wandering in the forests and ranging abroad. Every time August tried to imagine what it must be like for him down underground, injured and underfay, he quickly had to withdraw his thoughts back to the present, touch eyes upon his brother's form, find something grounding. Golvey and Ash talked quietly about Albion and what he was likely to do as August waited nearby, pacing, watching the horizon, looking for attacks that never came. Fae were not supposed to attack each other on neutral ground. But how often were those laws broken? Often enough. He couldn't trust Fae etiquette now. Not in a world where kings were being demoted by their people and old lore was being thrown about. Another nervous ten minutes passed. Further insult. The Seely were an alignment of Fae that prided themselves on punctuality. When Albion appeared, August's face went blank to see that gold-silvery crown upon his head, the wreath of leaves and twigs. Behind him came two Sifei. August could smell the reek of salt on both of them. One, a selkie, who wore her sealskin proudly around her own neck, draped down behind her back like a short cape. She was naked but for a single pair of weathered jeans that frayed heavily at the hems, and the kind of sandals that one might find abandoned at the beach— waves washing over them until all the shine on the leather had disappeared. To Albion's right walked one of the merfolk. He could tell by the pale green streaks in her fins that she was likely merfolk royalty. Her face was sharpness, her pale green eyes canny, her pale green hair fashioned in the short, jagged cuts preferred by merfolk overall. This would only be the beginning of his inner court, the ones he trusted most. His eyes were already stinging from the mist of salt water they seemed to carry around them. When he took a deep breath, he felt it as an ache in his lungs. He wondered how Golvey was dealing with it. Ash had always found it easier to take. Centuries of dousing his body in pollutants like alcohol and excessively salted human food had given him a high tolerance. August's need to live a pure life was a disadvantage. Introductions established them both as Orosetic, Queen of the Selkies, and Alicia Mermelaki, queen-in-waiting to the merfolk. But that left their specific roles in the new Seelie court deliberately unclear. Typically a king or queen would hire an advisor, an executioner, assign the roles of magistrates, treasurer, more besides. Gwen had always had a paucity of an inner court, managing the treasury and many other roles of the court himself. But Albion would have an official court, a large one, and he knew how to run one. So who had he brought with him? 
Olga's eyes narrowed. All eyes had drifted to him, and he returned their gazes coldly. They could try to imprison him again, but he was ready. He was in her court, and there was no frost spirit here to freeze him to the ground, and his brother had oathed under Soulbond to never possess him again. They could try. His whole body practically thrummed with the desperation to know how Gwen was, if he was still alive. And so, when Golvi introduced herself as queen to the new king, and followed the formalities that were meant to be observed, he bristled with anger and barely held back impatience. He ignored the concerned look that Ash gave him in his peripheral vision. He had to know. He felt turbulent within, unsteady, ripples and waves skating the insides of his veins. Ten minutes passed, and they hadn't even mentioned Gwen. Gwen Apneeth, August said, and all eyes turned to him. Where is... Don't prevaricate, Albion said abruptly. We know he's come to the unseely court for asylum. Why else would he release you so close to his own discovery? Why else would he install a king and a queen into the unseely court that he could go to at a moment's notice? We're all perfectly aware that Gwen and Golvi have been colleagues for some time. We know he's come to the unseely court for asylum. One quick look at the stillness on Golvi's face and the shock on Ashes confirmed that it wasn't true. He didn't understand what had happened. He is in a cell in the silly court, Golvi said smoothly. Your messenger said so. La, are you saying you could not contain him? Albion's face was almost still, but he was Cife, and it was easy to tell when he was discontent. Minute shifts in his face, a twitch in his cheek, another in his jaw. A rush of panic stirred deep in August's gut. Are you telling me you've lost him? August said, his voice far quieter than usual. We did not lose the traitor, Albion said. We are perfectly aware of where he is. Golvi looked at Ash, and Ash shrugged in perhaps the most eloquent, if clumsy way, of indicating that he'd not seen any sign of Gwen at all. August watched the Seely Court, or at least what members Albion had brought with him, and he stepped forwards, licking once at his lips. His brain was working quickly, and he opened his mouth to question him when he felt a hand slam into his chest and came up short, Golvi staring at him. She'd flung an arm out to stop him. He swallowed, his eyes flickered to Albion, who was watching him. If it didn't chafe at him so badly, he'd consider apologizing to Golvi just to see Albion's expression. But even though his center was no longer dominance, he couldn't. He is not with us, and if you are to be believed, he is not with you, Golby said. Do not insinuate that we are liars, Albion said, his voice cold, unforgiving. August smirked. Golby laughed. <laughs> Did you not just serve in the employ of a liar? Did he not make liars of you all? August felt a flash of raw pleasure at Golby's daring. Ash may have thought that she was too harsh to run a court, but she had the court attitude necessary to hold her own. No wonder the Raven Prince had appreciated her company so much. For all that she was a thorn on August's side, a dagger, his respect for her was growing. A breeze picked up, gusted through. Clouds scudded in overhead. Aura turned her head to look at them. August followed her gaze. She intrigued him. Alicia, too, but she had that knife-said sharpness that Golvi had and she was fascinating as all obvious predators were. Seely or not, she was merfolk, and it was a more cutthroat world beneath the sea. But Aura, queen of the Selkies, he'd heard few tales of her, and they were all mysterious. One did not become queen of the Finfolk seal shifters without knowing how to hold their own, and that was quite a vicious scar she had cutting across her torso, splitting her left breast and slicing all the way down to the bottom of her ribs at her right-hand side. Deister weather's a blown in, Aura said, her voice rough. She turned her gaze back to August and Ash, raising bushy eyebrows. It was an olive branch of sorts, offering something neutral to speak on. It only incensed August further, and his own claws scraped against his palms. It was taking considerable willpower not to just compel information from them. It was likely Albion, with his king status, could resist him now. It wasn't worth the risk. Where is he? What happened? Where did he go? Is it a rouse? It's not a rouse. Look at Albion. That salt rolling off him is fear. He's under Fay, August heard himself say. 
He's under Fay and a pariah. You're telling me that no other Fay have found him? Killed him? Brought him to you for whatever reward you have on his head? He accidentally scraped a furrow into his own skin. He was in a cell. I've experienced steely hospitality of that kind for half a year, but not easy to break out of. I never managed. Neither did he, Albion said stiffly. That's really helpful and all, Ash said, his voice turning hard. How about you tell us what the fuck is going on, before I compel it out of you? August turned and stared. That wasn't like Ash at all. He'd always avoided compulsions. He doubted he truly wanted to know about Gwen, but was tired of the dancing around between alignments. He'd never had any patience for it. What a peaceful meeting this is turning out to be, Alicia said, looking down at her hand, spreading her webbed fingers as though examining the pale gray-green stretching between each digit. Albion turned back to look at her, but it was Aura who placed a hand on his shoulder with a familiarity that August found intriguing. Whatever transmitted between them was enough. Albion cleared his throat, and Aura dropped her hand, looking out towards the clouds again. I believe he deserved one more chance, Albion said, gravely. I removed him from the cell and gave him a bow and arrow, and the option to be executed publicly or try his luck on his own. With your soldiers everywhere, no doubt, Golvi said, a cruel smile curving her lips. Your Majesty, I am completely aware of how you work. It's not the first time you've offered someone that form of pardon, is it? Albion said nothing. August noted Alicia watching him and returned the gaze. It became a glare between them both. Our reader says that he loves you, Alicia said directly to August. Oh no, a reader. Oh, Gwen, damn it, what have they done to you? He also said there was no collusion between the two of you. You can use that, August told himself quickly, feeling himself straighten and laugh. Is that what he said? Your reader? <laughs> oh, that's lovely. You are, of course, aware that Gwen Upneath has a self-taught resistance to both readers and even my compulsions. Not as underfay, Alicia said, grinning her sharp canines at him. Really? August said, raising a skeptical brow. Are you sure? He's played you all, in different ways, for three thousand years. I'm sure he was very convincing. Did he spin a nice story about how vulnerable he's been? About how terrible his family life is? August let his sense of victory play in his eyes, shocked that Golvi was letting him talk. Albion was buying it. He didn't know why, or what Gwen had said, but his suspicions that the reader had picked up on Gwen's background looked to be true. He could use that, too. If Gwen was a pariah, let him at least be a respected one. Ah. Uh, <laughs> August breathed, allowing a soft laugh. He played you. We may have our weak court, but we also have an ex-king who happens to have a habit of memorizing silly military and battle scrolls. Alicia's face went still. She looked to Albion, the fins on the side of her face flaring. And you lost him, August purred. Albion, you're practically a demigod, if you're not one already. And Gwen is nothing more than underfay. Honestly, I thought you were respectable, but you're barely more than a minnow when you find yourself upon land, are you? August swallowed the itch of salt in the back of his throat as it rose sharply in the air around him. He swallowed repeatedly, then bit his tongue sharply until saliva flooded his mouth and diluted the salt. Ash started to cough. Even his throat was irritated. Aura looked affronted. He is the king of an ocean, Aura said, reproving. My dear, I was the king of the entire unseelie kingdom. I think you'll find that kingship goes cheap these days. Besides, King Albion, you can hire as many of your seawater minions as you like— I think you'll find the land fay won't play so nice knowing their court is being run by the very fay that have held them in disdain for millennia. That was... Oh, that was you, wasn't it? Isn't there a quote somewhere? How does it go? Gulvy, do you remember? That was a risk, but Gulvy seemed willing enough to play along. Ah, yes, I do remember. I believe you once said that land fay were the fat, farm-bred versions of fay too sedentary and leisure-focused to be anything more than long-living mulch for the land that sustains us. Mm, it caused quite an outcry when Gwen made you inner court in the first place, did it not? 
Is your seedy court playing nice now that Criella's under house arrest, and the palace carries a stench of salt? Argus felt his teeth grow sharper in his jaw. This wasn't getting him closer to knowing what had happened to Gwen, as satisfying as it was to vent in this manner. Where is he? His mind showed him images of Gwen dead, murdered, and he tried to drown them, reminded himself of what Gwen had survived so far. But always as court or higher, never as underfay. You know how he abuses his body. He would not have the first idea of how to live in a sustainable manner. He could kill himself by accident before anyone else had a chance to do it on behalf of the Sealy Kingdom. Albion appeared to grow in front of him, even though he stayed the same intimidating narrow height. August thought if Albion could summon waves to this high moorland, he would. As it was, a high wind soughed past. Sea fay as strong as Albion influenced the weather in many places. But Gulvy was from the winged family. She spread her wings and the wind died down to a fresh, salt-free breeze. Albion didn't react. In that, August was reminded of Gwen and his ability to mask his own reactions behind a still, stern expression. Your word games have always been precise, Albion said, finally, to August. And in that, I think, you can be quite clever. But look at you, leashed by the unseedy court and practically a pony to be ridden by the masses. I wasn't there, at your display, but I heard you made a very cowed creature, that you bowed your head prettily before the court. I'm surprised you haven't started hacking yourself out for pony rides. August's eyes widened, and Ash blew out an offended curse beneath his breath. Gwen's classless, Albion said to Goldie, changing the subject. He teleported away before I could put him down like the dog that he is. August's palms were bleeding. So that was what had happened. He wanted to know details. Conversation. No, he needed to know where Gwen was now. Surely Albion had the city military out looking for him, mages tracing his energy signature. Where would Gwen go? He didn't use magic. Any land he owned was forfeit. He closed his eyes briefly. He had to find him. Someone had to find him. It was hard to live as underfay, especially if you were a species predisposed to be solitary. August and Ash both knew that very well indeed. And Gwen... When he opened his eyes again, Gulvy and Albion were talking about Gwen's classless status, and Alicia was again watching him closely. When she saw that he was aware of his surroundings, she winked at him. Ash watched everyone quietly. For all that he came across as clueless, he observed. August wondered if he'd picked that up in the human world. He didn't look like he was missing much. When their eyes met, Ash's expression stayed grim, and his gaze drifted to Alicia, and then back to Gulvy and Albion. Gulvy turned her head and looked down at August's hands. The scent of blood had risen in the air. "'Your pony seems agitated,' Alicia said sweetly. "'Perhaps you should send him back to his stable.' A cold current flew through August's blood, making him dizzy, as though the sky was falling upon him. His hands splayed, he sent his awareness deep into the ground, and found all the water, then turned his thoughts to the ground itself. Clay. Heavy in water content. High water table. It would be easy. Did they think he was domesticated? Truly. Do you think I am tame? August said, the ground beginning to shake. Gulvy's wings flared. She looked at August in confusion. None of them knew how powerful he was. No one did. Do you? August said again, advancing past Gulvy. Is that the rumor? Shall I dispel it for you? How much control do you think they have over me, truly? The swan. My brother. When I had been working in league with one of the most powerful, classless, unseely fay the world has ever seen. Do you know what he can do with his light? Did you see the estate? I have. Now they looked surprised, and August spun his lies into a tapestry, as wild, thick strands of waterweed began to coil forth from openings in his wrist. Not just one per hand, but multiple, because this was something he had always been able to do. Water horses were supposed to only be able to make a limited amount of waterweed, but August only needed to think of the water in the land around him, think of green and chlorophyll and the scent of ozone, and there it was, pouring from him. His water horse form stirred inside of him. He bared sharpened teeth. The ground shook with his discontent. He coughed at the salt in the air, clenched his hands, winced at the pain in his palms. 
There, moisture in the grasslands. He drew on it slightly, leaving the plants mostly unharmed. Mist rose around them. Swamps and wetlands had always been prime causes of inland fog, and this was another thing he could do. Another thing they didn't know about. Mist became a thickening, soupy fog. Gulvy was upright and shouting at him. Ash swore in surprise. None of them knew. August had always wanted to keep his true powers a secret, because he knew he might need them one day. He might need the surprise. He didn't think he'd use them now, uncalculated, because he was so furious. They were wasting time, all of them. Gwen was out there somewhere. Dead, in all likelihood. The growl that rumbled through him echoed around them all. His voice took on its supernatural ability to throw itself from all corners and rumble down through his boots into the ground itself. You call me Pony, August said, his voice turning deep and terrible. Are you quite sure that is what I am? Have you forgotten? I am the Okushka, and I am not tame. Albion staggered backwards as the ground began to open up beneath his feet. And this, this would take energy, but he liquefied the clay and the root systems beneath him, turning the water to widening wetland. Water oozed up and squelched, stuck to his boots. Gulvy cried out, a gust of wind indicating she had taken to the air to stay stable. Ash was shouting something, but August was too busy meeting the stormy eyes of Albion, smiling with a terrible promise. The sea always tries to take over the land. It may absorb fresh water, but we endure, and fresh water always leaves your custody and finds its way back to us. Do you want to see? Albion, king of the sea and the seely, do you want to see what fresh water can do? How tame it is. Rain started to fall. Ropes of waterweed twisted and coiled wildly in the air, and Alicia shrieked as one tripped her up. She was back on her feet, had sliced through it with her own weapons, but August advanced upon them still, walking onto the lake he'd created, and shaking with the amount of power he needed to make the lakes widen, produce the waterweed, make the mist, and then trick the ley lines of the energy around him to make sure that he wouldn't sink. But he was a water horse, fresh water his domain. He didn't even sink to his ankles, navigating the turbulent lake easily. Water plastered his hair to his head more than usual. It felt like the caress of a lover, an attentive friend. It felt good. Albion was raising his hands to retaliate, salt thickening in the air, and August offered a winning, sharp-toothed smile. Do you remember when Gwen Abneath traded Tigbo on for power? Do you want to see it? He disappeared completely and masked his scent. Albion stared in horror. Golvi shrieked his name in outrage. August felt the need to show them that he was a force to be reckoned with, and how dare they lose Gwen, how dare they underestimate the both of them. But he could do so much more than show them that he wasn't a domesticated horse to be saddled and ridden. He could do so much more. He could do more than protect Gwen. He could hurt them. He could... His heart skipped a beat. Pain rocketed down his spine. Brother! An agonized shout. August stumbled even as he had started sending out his waterweed to try and tear Albion apart. His heart ached and he clutched at it, clawed absently. What? August! August froze. He could protect loved ones. He could do whatever he wanted to protect loved ones. That's what the soul bond said. But he couldn't work against either court just because he wanted to. He turned, aghast. Ash stood on the edge of a giant lake, bowed over, clutching at his own heart. No, no, no. Ash couldn't see him. None of them could see him. He sprinted back across the water, wheezing, maintaining his invisibility. He stood at Ash's side, listened to his own heavy breaths. He placed a hand against his brother's face. Ash tensed. Brother, August whispered. Ash's eyes widened. He turned toward August, but couldn't see him. If I stop, will you be well? It's already fucking better, Ash said, turning his head into August's hand in a gesture of trust. August rubbed his bleeding palm over the stubble on his cheek and left smears that didn't disappear in the light drizzle that fell around them. The waterweed withdrew into August's body and then disappeared in a sudden exhalation of mist around them. The lake stopped widening. Fog began to thin. 
August noticed a breeze and looked up at Goldie, who was summoning it herself to increase visibility. I will be in the court, August said, unable to shake that deep, primal voice. He'd searched too deep within himself, brought up too much power, and he was still determined to find Gwen. In human form, he retained his affection for Ash, but it was a strange tension inside of him. And then I will be gone. I have to find him. No, Ash said on an exhale. No, August, wait, you... August shed his invisibility and sank into the lake, turning into water, swirling through the currents he'd created in his own rage. He was crossing a bridge over a quiet but fast-flowing river, not more than forty paces from the lake, when Ash emerged and ran after him. He's gone! He's escaped! You can't find him! It's a fucking needle in a haystack search! Just let him die! August froze. His chest still ached. He turned slowly, fingers opening and closing, a growl reverberating around him. He still felt the need to tear his environment apart. He was shaking with the power he'd spent, and yet he needed to spend more. He glared at Ash. You hate him, August said. You hate him, and I understand why. But my feelings for him are not a trick, nor a trap, and I'm not telling you to believe me, but don't you dare disrespect me. I raised you. I have told you that I care for him, and I will not tolerate you actively wishing death upon my lover. I am going to find him, and you cannot stop me. I don't care if you're king. Disrespect? Ash said, looking bewildered. No, not... I just... He ran a hand through his hair, shook water out of it vigorously. August's heart clenched. Gwen had done that when they'd escaped the seedy court and gone to that cabin, gone to that river. At the time, the gesture had reminded him of Ash. Was he doomed to have one in his life, but not the other? You told me the Nightmare King was magnificent, Ash blurted, his voice breaking. You destroyed your world for him. You destroyed mine. August closed his eyes. August, if you go out there and look for him, some fate is going to kill you, and you don't want to die. No, fuck, I don't want you to die. I did the soul bond for you, not just so you could go and fucking waste it. Please, August, I'm fucking begging you. You can't just go out there looking for an underfree like Gwen. They're looking for him anyway, and they're definitely going to be looking to kill you too. It'll be easy. It'll be like a fucking bargain sale to get both of you at the same time. Two for the price of one. August looked off into the distance, as though he could see through the unseated court into the greater Fey world. Where would Gwen have gone? How could August track him? Gwen could teleport. Scent trails would be useless. And if Gwen had successfully evaded military, how, how would he have managed to do that? Then he could successfully evade anyone. August would have to guess. If Gwen had escaped and not come to the unseated court for asylum, it was likely because he believed he couldn't. Gwen, who had been so sure that August would get free, and suddenly see Gwen for the villain that August had always known him to be. He would never have expected help. Not Gwen, of all people, who couldn't accept care or affection. August smoothed his clothing absently, fretfully. Gwen would have felt too vulnerable as an underfay, going to the unseely court. But it was exactly what he should have done. August, you're scaring me, Ash said. And what was that back there? Fucking hell, man. What the fuck was that? Have you always been able to do those things? Yes, August said. For a long time. Why is everything a secret with you? Why do you have to hold so much back from everyone? The stupid thing is, I can tell you to open up to me. But not really. August, you can't go out there on some wild goose chase like this, looking for the guy who held you captive for so long. I don't care if you were mutually fucking each other. I don't... Either forbid me as king and watch me commit treason against the unseely court, or let me go, August said quietly. Besides, you should go back. Assist Gulvy with damage control. Oh yeah, me. Because that's what I'm suited for. Fucking damage control. He looked miserable. He looked, August realized, like he was about to cry. August's breathing came faster. Ash would survive crying. Gwen might not survive being under Fay. If he's still alive. Ash, August said. I'll come back. Yes? All right? Yeah, Ash said, looking doubtful. I will, August said. 
He had to turn around and go back to the lake if he wanted to teleport out of the court. He took a deep breath and approached Ash, walked past him. A hand reached out and wrapped around his forearm, fingers squeezed. August, Ash said. What's my center? August looked across his shoulder into Ash's eyes, his eyebrows furrowing. The game again, creeping in from their childhood. What did they both need more of right now? What did he need from Ash? Strength. Doesn't feel like it, Ash said. It never does. August smiled, rested his head briefly against Ash's shoulder. He was tired. He had to leave. He had to look. It was futile. He knew that. It never does, brother. At the third lake, using invisibility and growing increasingly exhausted, he started to wonder if there was some merit to Ash wondering if he'd lost his mind again. He knelt by the bank and closed his eyes. He was trying to pick up a scent. An energy signature. Something. He was in her court. He was powerful. But he couldn't simply arrive in a random location and will Gwen into existence. He let his invisibility flicker out and groaned in relief not to be holding it to him any longer. Certainly, it was easier to maintain it when he was in her court status instead of capital. But it was still draining. He placed his hands in wet, silty clay, bowed far enough forward that the ends of his mane curled upon it. He needed to think. He needed to hold on to his mind. After a few minutes, he pushed himself upright and looked around cautiously, scenting the air. But he picked up very few other fae, certainly none nearby. He didn't call on the invisibility again. His whole body ached. He needed to rest. He knew he needed to rest. But he couldn't. If he could just find Gwen first, then they could both rest as much as they wanted. When he went back to the lake, he knew where he wanted to go, but he would have a fair bit of walking ahead of him. He dove in, turned to water and bubbles. The clay that had stuck to his hands fell away and drifted to the bottom of the lake. He emerged in frigid waters, struck out for the surface. He called his invisibility to him as he emerged and made a small groan in the water before his head broke free of it. He couldn't mask his ripples properly, and he could sense Faye nearby. He could mask the ripples he'd made nearby, but not the ones that moved out further, which still allowed anyone to pinpoint where he was in the water. Quickly he made his way to the lake's edge, getting out of it. Standing on the bank, taking deep breaths, he saw Seely Dryads nearby. They wouldn't be a problem, but he kept himself masked with invisibility anyway. It wouldn't do for the Seely to find out what he was doing or where he was looking. Seely Dryads were staunch pacifists, the kind of fae that would bleat to even see a branch torn from a tree, but they were very good messengers, and they could whisper words to the leaves that could sing across forests in seconds. He hoped they hadn't noticed the ripples, but the ones he could see, lissom and graceful, were tending some shrubs. One was holding a blackbird on her index finger, smiling at it. Dryads. August rolled his eyes before remembering that he'd had some moments like that as a waterhorse, and, flushing, quickly strode off into the forest, letting his inner compass show him the way. After twenty minutes of walking, he had to let the invisibility roll off him, and he withdrew his rapier cautiously. Ash would have a fit if he saw him like this, visible, out in Seely territory, far away from any lakes to use for safe teleportation. He could make a lake himself, usually, except that he'd burnt through his reserves of energy to remind Albion that he wasn't some Shetland they could lead around by a bridle and bit. Temper, temper. He kept himself focused, looked around constantly. He could sense Faye throughout this forest, but they were not so nearby now, and he could tell he was moving into abandoned territory. At least then he would get respite from the invisibility. He smelled the burnt carbon of plants, charred minerals in the soil, long before he arrived. And by the time he'd made it onto the old Anne Fenway estate, he'd not worn the invisibility for a full forty minutes. He was taking a risk, but he thought if he didn't wear it, he'd find it easier to shrug on when he needed it. The place filled him with an odd horror as it had before, followed immediately by a sense of awe and power. He'd broken the fay that had done this to the land, had him bowed and arching beneath him, crying out, gasping, begging him for mercy. August licked his lips, tried to focus on that instead of the images his mind was throwing up at him now. 
Gwen broken for very different reasons, trying to find his way as Underfay, dragged down into the seedy cells. Did they torture him? Of course they did, and likely not the poor, unsophisticated attempts that Gwen inflicted on you. He opened his mouth and flared his nostrils to get a better sense of the odors around him. Everything was so dominated by that burning scent that he almost missed it. Iron, copper, ozone. He jogged quickly forwards, closer to the estate itself, and the scent became more acute. A wave of relief washed over him, and he stopped where it smelled strongest, taking deep lungfuls of the remnants of Gwen's scent. Not so long ago, then, he'd been here. A few days at most, he'd still been alive. Oh, you idiot, where are you? You should have come to us. The unseely look after their own. We would have given you asylum. Even Ash can't contravene those oldest of laws. August raised a hand and ran it through his hair. No one was there to watch him self-soothe himself as he then started combing his fingers through it over and over again. Knowing that Gwen was alive a few days ago wasn't Gwen being alive now. And if Gwen was desperate enough to visit the estate, then he was truly desperate. There was no way he would come here unless it was, possibly, a last resort. There was no food here, no water. He doubted Gwen would stay in the estate itself, and the scent of him was already fading, barely clinging to the land. He'd not even stayed long. August walked closer to the estate, just to be sure, but the scent was already fading. He felt something brush against his ankles, and looked down to see a brief shimmer of magic where the barrier had touched him. It disappeared immediately, but his blood ran cold. Perhaps someone else had expected Gwen to come here. Perhaps. Damn it. Two-winged Fay, Seely this time, appeared in front of him, and August threw on the invisibility and dodged the stab of a rapier. He masked his own sound, too, gasping hoarsely. He turned and ran back the way he'd come, realizing that he'd need to run, hold on to the invisibility, make it back to the lake. He spared a breath to swear at himself, sheathed his rapier, because he would be faster with it at his hip, not in his hand. He sprinted, called on his own water horse strength, but he was draining himself fast. Overhead, he heard the shriek of the first bird shifter, a raven, circling as though she could see him. He was sure she couldn't, but perhaps she knew the lay of the land, knew there was a lake nearby that he'd needed in order to teleport. The other bird shifter didn't seem to be following, or, perhaps, they had headed in another direction, towards a river that August knew backed onto the estate in the other direction. It's a needle in a haystack, search, brother. August's breath was rough in his throat. Holding on to the invisibility made him break out into a cold sweat. His hair was actually starting to dry on the surface from how fast he was running. The boots he wore were terrible for getting through the landscape. It didn't matter. He'd scented him. It was better than nothing, wasn't it? When he made it to the lake, he groaned in relief and dove in. He turned just in time to see a spear plunging towards him, right where the ripples would have given away his position. He twisted quickly, called a current of water to push the spear away, gasped water into his lungs as adrenaline flashed through him with all the subtlety of a blade, and disappeared himself, rushing towards the unsavory court and the closest thing he had to safety. When he returned, Gulvy was waiting for him. His rapier snapped up out of its sheath. He parried one of her knife thrusts, even as he was sodden and dripping with water. His eyes were wide and wild as he retreated from her along the unsavory lake's bank. Now, now, Gulvy, August gasped. I know I didn't play fair out there, but you could have killed him. To say little of that performance before King Albion, Golvi said, her own voice rough, devoid of its usual lilting charm. Her knife flashed out again, and August stumbled as he avoided it, then managed to get his feet back up under himself again. August realized that Golvi had been scared for Ash's life. Well, so had he. That's why he stopped. I have a bad habit. August said, trying to sound persuasive, Dreoct rolling off him and burning up more of his energy. I have a terrible habit of goading kings, queens, royalty. La, yes, maybe a knife will teach you. Six of them? August said, trying for sweetness, trying to put her off balance. She lunged and he turned and fled, hoping the drag of her own wings would slow her down. She was fast in the air, but running was not one of her strong suits. August, however, was built to run, even in human form. He ran instinctively to the room that had once been his own, burst into Ash's bedroom, almost tripping over his brother as he flicked through some human magazine. What the hell? Ash said as August rounded the bed and used it as a barrier, Golby coming in behind him, knives out. 
Fucking again? This isn't about you, Golby said, and August laughed. <laughs> isn't it? Is it about your sisters or Ash, Golby? Or can you not decide? I didn't kill him. Look, here he is, reading one of his inane magazines. Golby beat her wings powerfully and launched across the bed. August was parrying thrusts and stabs from two different blades, baring his teeth at her angrily. But he wasn't trained, and he was exhausted, and his mind was quickly devolving into a mess of desperate swear words, even as Ash yelled at them both to cut it out. August's strategy for dealing with Golby would have to happen, and soon, because he couldn't keep on like this. He couldn't deal with healing from another knife wound. He had to find Gwent. He choked as the knife buried into his side, the opposite side this time. His wide, shocked eyes searched out Ash, even as he slid down to the floor, making sure that his brother was still standing, that he wasn't in any pain. Ash watched in horror, outrage, was across the bed and falling to August's side in an instant. Fucking fuck! Ash glared at Gulvy, but Gulvy was still staring bloodlust and hatred at August. They were at an impasse. August coughed, tried to suppress the action, and couldn't. Pain rocketed through him. Blood spilled into his mouth. She'd nicked a lung, possibly. It was a good thing that he could breathe water. Even if his lungs filled with blood, he'd survive it regardless of his status. No wonder Ash looked, if pale with fear, fine. Govey, August managed. Let me tell you a story. He had to be quick. He had to make it good. Two twin girls, August said, his voice getting hoarser as the pain started to settle in as a constant throb. He held back a sound of pain. What a day he was having. How beautiful they were. Imagine their blonde, curly hair and their pretty violet eyes. And of course, everyone knows that fae twins are more powerful than your average fae. And these little nine-year-olds showed so much promise. But it wasn't that which made them beloved of the unseelie. It was simply their charming natures, their sweetness. Golvi went still, one wing frozen in a stretched-out position, the other tucked in close to her back. She stared at him with wide eyes, her mouth open. August winced at a particularly vicious spear of pain, forced himself to continue. These beautiful twins were the daughters of the leader of a criminal organization who wanted to move that organization into France. But there was already a very powerful French family looking after covert unseemly matters, and he had to oust them in order to earn the respect of local players. He placed a hit out on the family. He thought it wouldn't be so hard. They were only protected by a swan. Even with the rumors, how fierce could she be? Everyone knew that swans were such pacifists. August coughed and blood sprayed out of his mouth. She had nicked a lung. The pain was all-encompassing, filtering through all of his organs. He pressed his fingers to the knife. His body would be healing around it, even now. At some point, he'd have to slide the knife out and let the inner cord healing kick in properly. But that would likely render him speechless. He'd lose a great deal of blood. He had a story to tell, first. Besides, this man was too busy doting on his daughters. Everyone was. Little did he know that the supposedly pacifist swan was cunning, unseely down to the bone, and she knew the best way to get that hit call off the family she was protecting, didn't she? Oh, so clever. Who cared about the cost being high, or that she would do something that would compromise even her own personal values, such as they were? Gulvy's breath hitched, her wings twitched. Her hand tightened on her second dagger, then loosened again. She couldn't tear her eyes away, and August knew he had her rolled out his dreoct, persuasive and sinister and cold. Even Ash beside him had gone still. His breathing was quiet. Imagine that father coming home, to his estate, climbing up those stairs two at a time, excited to see his daughters after a, a day of whatever he did. Do you think the smell of blood hit him first? Do you wonder if he knew? The story goes that he didn't know until he opened the door and saw them both on the floor, Swan feathers scattered around the room, because, oh, they'd only been nine, but they put up a fight. But I think he was a powerful fay, and that he smelled the blood first and wished, oh, wished, it wasn't true. But wishes aren't much use for us, are they? It didn't stop their pretty throats from being slit with a curved dagger. Their violet eyes stared up such sweet pleading at their father. But, ah, it was too late. Far too late, I'm afraid." August bowed his head, fingered the knife where it went into him. His breathing hitched several times, and he squeezed his eyes shut. This would take time to heal, and it was time he didn't have. He tilted his head up at Gulvy, too pained to lift it properly. He grimaced a smile at her. 
can you imagine? It's a story commonly told. But then, I suppose you don't need the story when you have the real image in your head, do you? He pushed himself upright into a standing position, hunched over the knife, groaned softly. Did you get two knives in the gut for those daughters, Golvi? He looked up. I don't think you did. Should we invite the father here? He retired, didn't he? Oh, and you did such a good, good job of breaking him. Golvi's hand spasmed open, her knife dropped on the bed. August offered her a smile. He didn't use any compulsions. He'd save those for next time if she kept coming at him. No, no. If you'll excuse me, your majesties, I have a knife wound to heal from. Again. He managed his way around the bed, and then exited the room as gracefully as possible, hissing a pained exhale with every breath. It wasn't until he was down the corridor that he heard Golvi say, I told you that in confidence! August grinned. I didn't think you'd do that with it, Ash said, and August shook his head as he hobbled down the corridor. Maybe you should stop stabbing him. That's only a plan A, knowing August. It was. He hoped it would be effective. It was time that Gulvy remembered that many of her crimes weren't victimless either. He gave himself two days to heal. It was barely enough to do anything more than close the wound and allow him to walk around with something of a straight back. Ash begged him not to go out again. August raised an eyebrow at him. I rather think I have a better chance of surviving out there. No, Ash said, chagrined. No, Colby's the best there is, and she isn't trying to kill you. Will you just stay and rest, please? You're tired because of more than a stab wound, I fucking know, and you're... August reached a hand to his forehead, and then reached out hesitantly and curled his fingers into Ash's shoulder. Ash, I need to find him. Ash looked at him, a mix of pity and horror and outrage twisting his features, his eyes filming over with tears. August reached up and tugged one of his curls, then tugged at a piece of waterweed, offering something that could have been a smile if he wasn't so plagued with the desperation to find Gwen. Every day that passed was a day that he was more likely to be dead and rotting somewhere. August was nothing but a realist, and the Seely Court was looking for him. They were not an unintelligent court, that much was clear. And Albion knew Gwen. Perhaps not as well as August, but well enough to start a decent attempt at finding him. They'd set a trap at the old Anne Fenway estate. I don't like this, Ash whispered. I'm the king. I could forbid you. Don't, August replied, lowering the volume of his own voice. Please, if you need to take solace in anything, take it in the fact that I'm not trying to lock you out, as I did before. Colby says you love him, Ash said, looking hurt, looking younger. His bottom lip pushed into his upper lip, and his brow furrowed, and he looked as he did when August had to announce that all the apples were gone, and he would have to wait until tomorrow for more. Yes, August said, tired of prevaricating. What did he do to you? Ash's voice broke. He submitted to me, August smiled grimly. He gave me more than he's ever given anyone. And I owe him several favors. If you do not believe in the love, brother, believe I have some life debts to square. I must find him. Don't get killed. I'll come back. August closed his eyes as he turned resolutely away from Ash's doubt. I am nothing if not a survivor. He managed a week of searching. He tried the edges of the Seely Court to pick up a scent. He was attacked twice. Once, when he had to shudder out of his invisibility, triggering yet another magical barrier. A second time, a strange-looking fae he wasn't familiar with shot out of the forest and aimed straight at him, despite the invisibility. He'd taken some shrapnel from some kind of weapon in the arm, had to pick it out himself with sharp claws. He'd soothed himself with the knowledge that if there were fae that could see through his invisibility, they weren't common, and he still got away. He tried the cabin Gwen took him to, the wards disintegrated now. He questioned a hedgehog shifter family with compulsions, and the fury that overtook him when they'd all said they'd sell him out, the man who'd once been their king, who had saved the kingdoms, 
was so profound that he ended up killing them all, painting the walls that no longer had Gwen's maps on them with blood. He'd stood over their bodies gasping and splattered with red. When he'd kicked one of the bodies aside to look for the stain where Gwen had spilled on the floor, he'd noticed it had been sanded away and growled. August's home gone, and his and Gwen's history being erased. It didn't bode well. He didn't know the location of the other cabins, and after that he was simply jumping from lake to lake, staying close to the seely and unseely courts, focusing on the middle world around the United Kingdom. He had a feeling Gwen would stay close, but perhaps that was only because he knew that if he started ranging further afield, he would finally realize just how lost to him Gwen was. He refused that possibility. August stumbled back into the unseely court after a week, Ash waiting for him by the lake's edge, pacing and smelling a fear. Ash's fear was a spiced thing, complex and layered. It built in stages until finally it was a confection of the stuff. August opened his mouth to ready a weary argument. Ash marched up to him and hauled him upright, growling when August winced. His knife wound wasn't healing properly, he was pushing himself too hard. He couldn't find the words to protest when Ash hooked one arm underneath his arm, around his back, and started half-dragging him, half-supporting him towards the center of the unseely palace. August shuddered and shrunk away from the shadows, and Ash's growl cut off abruptly, became a soft croon instead. "'You have to rest now, brother,' Ash said. August didn't nod, didn't shake his head, focused on keeping his feet underneath him. He looked with a bowed head at the corridor ahead, then closed his eyes when Ash directed him into the room that had once belonged to him. He started to ease himself onto the bed, but Ash stopped him with hands clasping his forearms, encouraged him to sit on the edge of the bed. He almost laughed at the king of the unseely fay kneeling before him, undoing the buckles on his boots. You're angry, August said. Really fucking pissed, Ash agreed. His voice was quiet, his fingers sure. He tugged off each one, having to fight the water that was still dripping from August's body. He had, after all, just emerged from the lake. One of the downsides of being a water horse. Even with water-waking fabric, boots could be a struggle. It was one of the reasons going barefoot was preferred. But Ash was patient, and when both were off, he reached up and undid the belt at August's waist, drawing it and the sheathed rapier away and laying them nearby. I suppose you think you're going out again, Ash murmured, something steely in his voice. I don't like you playing at being the older brother. If this is what it was like. Nah, I was such a delight that you never had to be mean to me. August closed his eyes as Ash tipped him unceremoniously onto his back. He had retorts on his tongue, but they were all swimming away like tiny fishes. He was spent. But still, there was a restless lurking urge inside of him. He pushed his hands underneath himself, forcing his body upright. Just a bit longer. August said. Yeah, no, Ash said gently, knocking one of his hands away. August fell backwards. When was the last time you slept? I don't want to sleep. You have no right to ask it of me. Ash stilled, sighed. August remembered Gwen once saying something similar, before teleporting away from him and locking him out of the inner circles of his rooms. He'd refused aftercare. He'd been so scared of sleeping and the threat of whatever he thought August might do to him when he was vulnerable. Actually, I do have the right to ask it of you. But I'll stay out of here while you do, all right? As much as it kills me to leave you, knowing you're going to have nightmares. You need the sleep, and I need to know that you've gotten it. I'll be nearby. But I won't wait here. I promise. Promise. August echoed. Ash said something else, but August couldn't hear him. He was drifting down into murk. He twitched once, afraid to go down into that complete blackness, but he couldn't stop himself. He was too tired. It was a familiar nightmare he wakened to, shrieking for light and then turning and muffling his voice into damp pillows as soon as he realized, groggy, that he was awake and that if Ash was nearby, he would have heard. He gasped over and over again, struggled to force his breathing to calm. He wondered how long he'd carry these nightmares with him. He'd had them during his time with the Nightmare King, then afterwards in his home, then in the Raven Prince's court, then in his own court, then in the darkness of a seedy cell. It didn't seem to matter how his environment changed, 
that fear of the dark and what the shadows could mercilessly do to him while he was in it followed him wherever he went. But his wound had healed over completely, not even a scar left behind where his fingers brushed over it. He looked for calm and found it, while slowly and idly brushing the back of his fingers over the place where Golvey had stabbed him. He rolled onto his back again, looked hazily up at a vaulted ceiling filled with shadows. He closed his eyes, his lips thinned. He concentrated instead on the feeling of skin against skin, his hand against his torso, just under his ribs. He was still wearing his pants, his shirt. He needed a change, though all the teleportation through water meant he didn't need to clean. He would need to leave again soon, anyway. Now, it should be now. You don't even know how long you've slept. The sound of frustration he made was weak. It wasn't sustainable to keep pushing himself the way he was pushing himself. You were supposed to have found him by now. He would have found you. Damn it, that wasn't true. No one had found him. August sighed, trailed his hand up his torso underneath his shirt, and then moved it back down again, unbuttoning his shirt from the base and exposing his own chest to himself. He needed something. Just something. He caressed one of his nipples and then traced a circle around the other, exhaling, gently drowning his impatience with himself and pushing the despair down even further away. It didn't belong. He rubbed a circle into his own belly, thought of all the times he'd rubbed circles into Gwen's chest, into his back. Gwen's skin had curved more than August did, his muscles bulged from him, strained against the barrier of skin. August was sharp angles, hollowed out above the jut of his hips, his ribs covered with a thinner veneer of muscle. Even with inner court status, more musculature on his frame, he wasn't as fit as he used to be, and his body had always tended towards thinness. Gwen tended towards bulk. August wondered how much muscle he'd kept when being dropped down to Underfay. He hoped most of it. Gwen worked at himself, maintained his body. August shuddered as he slipped his fingers beneath the hem of his own pants, and then undid the button quickly, drew down a zipper, looked towards the door. He possibly shouldn't be doing this, but he didn't particularly care. If Ash hadn't burst in when he woke up from the nightmare, he wasn't likely to burst in now. He felt like he needed this. It wouldn't take long. He wouldn't drag it out as he used to. He needed some space in his own body to forget, just for a little while. He wrapped his fingers around his cock, squeezed softly, savoring the limp, vulnerable flesh. It wouldn't stay that way for long, so he stroked the edges of his claws up and down, giving himself a sharper sensation than usual. He slowly tightened his fingers around the head of himself, feeling spongy flesh become harder, sighing and arching his hips slightly into his own hand. He thought about how Gwen had taken him slowly, the time August had been ambushed by him and had expected something rough and violent. Instead, Gwen had slowly worked him apart, been patient, and August had ended up spilling twice. Rare for him. Gwen had been attentive, sweet, and held his own arousal back with a fierceness that August had logged away for later. His ability to hold back from orgasm only seemed to work without assistance when he was focusing his attention on someone else. They'd both ended up with a finger inside of August's ass, and August smiled to remember it. They'd hooked them together, and August remembered the heat of it, the way it had felt, and thickened in his hand, humming in the back of his throat. But when he smoothed the tip of his thumb over the slit of his cock, he thought abruptly of the time Gwen had sounded him, had oathed in blood to be gentle and to listen. August's eyes opened, and he looked vaguely up at the ceiling as he stroked one hand up across his torso, established a slow, firm rhythm with the other. All his life, he'd never thought he'd enjoy receiving it, and how his center must have been gone, or at the very least only hanging on by a thread for him to have taken that steady, pleasure pain the way he had. He felt embarrassed to ask, but he wanted Gwen to do it again. He dipped the tip of his own claw into his slit, created a facsimile of the sharp, fractious sensation of it, and his hips bucked. He remembered Gwen sitting so close to him, knee up against his own, giving all of that singular focus to him in abundance. He'd not failed, not once. He'd even stopped August from hurting himself when August forgot that he was supposed to stay still. It had felt very much like a tight ball of sensation had been blown up inside his pelvis, until he was sure it was going to split apart and ruin him. He'd come harder than he could remember coming in a long time. 
Aga stroked ripples of pleasure through his body, and then drew his other hand down between his thighs, canting his hips up on bent legs and sliding fingers over his balls. He hissed slightly. He was moving far faster than he normally did, but he didn't have time to spare, and the thoughts that were swimming through his head were pulling him deep underwater. But memories were left behind. Odd feelings. A flash of sadness that Gwen didn't know how to do this to himself, even if he did masturbate on the rare occasion. Frustration that Gwen wasn't here with him, and additional annoyance that all his thoughts were turning towards him even now. He couldn't take space away from Gwen in his own mind. Not in this. Not with Gwen's hands having been all over his body and inside of him, and wringing responses from him for months. He gasped, rolled his hips up into his own steadily moving palm, then rubbed his thigh carefully, calming himself. His body ached to be spun up in someone else's concentration, for someone else to take over, and he wasn't used to this. Small spirals of fear still found him that he could desire this. A year with the Nightmare King, he'd never felt like this. He had to stop briefly, closing his eyes. This had happened back in the Seely Court, too. He'd try and take pleasure in himself. Stray thoughts would come, flashes of the past. Focus, he breathed, starting to move his hand again, slower this time, trying to ground himself in sensuality. He buried himself in memories of Gwen, of Gwen licking his own cum, August cum off his fingers and palm, and closing his eyes in that way he did, as though he hadn't tasted anything better. The tight, fluttering pressure on August cock when he was buried in the back of his throat, and the desperate noises of need Gwen would make, how they would sing down his spine. The way he writhed on the bed actually shifted fretfully when August made him rise with pleasure but wouldn't let him come. The breathless quality of his voice when he told August that fucking himself with the dildo at his own pace, his own depth, was good, so good. If only he knew how to be that eloquent all the time. But it was golden waves of pleasure inside of him to hear Gwen praising what was happening, to see that dazed arousal in his eyes. August huffed out of breath as his hips bucked sharply, then bit his lips together. He started to laugh when he realized he was getting off to memories of Gwen, because there was liking someone, and then there was whatever he was mired in. He'd spent his whole life avoiding feeling this way. Perhaps he was making up for lost time. It was, of all things, Gwen saying, I like making you uncomfortable, August. During the sounding, that tipped him over the edge. He arched taut, slowly, spilling into his hands on hypnotic pulses that shook his whole body. He moaned softly, once, then raised one of his own hands and looked at the white-green gleam on his fingers, even as his body went into spasm again. He wiped his hands off in his own shirt. He didn't want to soil the bed, and he had to change anyway. Normally, he would give himself time to come down, but he made himself roll off the bed, get up, walk into the giant adjoining rooms that were the wardrobe. He shed his own clothing quickly and took new pants, a new shirt, wove around to find new boots. He got dressed, the pleasant ache of orgasm fading into something bleaker. He belted on the rapier again and walked out of the room, headed back in the direction of the lake. His search wasn't futile. He would keep looking until he found Gwen either dead or alive. He had to keep looking.